All right. Name is Corey Hepler. We are again doing a Crazy Monkey Inc. podcast with Jared Gifford. How you doing? Doing good. How are you? I am doing fantastic. We're going to be covering some things that um, that are near and dear to us. First bit of info I want to cover is one of the major monsters of the comic industry has passed away, sadly. Mike Ditko. Steve Ditko. Steve Ditko. My bad. Has passed away. And I want to get some reflections on how Jared saw his impact within the comic industry and how he shaped it and molded it and made it into something that everybody could enjoy. Well, you know, and, and, and you know, you know, and I also want to get your perspective on it too, because I know, because I know he's meant a lot to you. But yeah, um, but I'll, but yeah, I don't mind talking about <laughs> it because like Steve Ditko, the thing is, a lot of people don't realize a lot of the contributions he's made, but a lot of the uh, characters that people know, uh, some, like uh, like like he created Blue Beetle over at DC. Yes. Um, and uh, he also. Um, created, uh, as, as everyone knows, uh, he helped co-create Spider-Man. That was like the big thing. Mm-hmm. But then he also created a character that has gained some traction nowadays, but actually was considered a minor character for a while, is he also co-created uh, Doctor Strange. Yes. And Doctor Strange had, <coughs> since the last <coughs> couple years, has been gaining some more traction... Um, well, because, because of the movies and because yeah, the of Marvel Cinematic Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is awesome because Doctor Strange to me was always a character that anybody, and I know this is weird, anybody could relate to, like literally anybody. Well, yeah, you know, there are many things because he had this cool redemption story thing going. Because first he was an arrogant prick who basically only thought of himself and only wanted to, because uh, I mean he was like. One of the world's greatest surgeons, mm-hmm. but but he only cared about you know how much uh, a fame it could get him. Yeah. And uh, and then what happens is he ends up in that car accident, takes away the use of his hands, and he basically can't do surgery anymore. Thinks he's done. But then he finds uh, he he ends up going to Tibet, finding the wise one, mm-hmm. um, and uh, or the ancient one um, and uh, and then he ends up getting trained in uh, he, he ends up get, getting trained in the use uh, in the uses of uh, martial arts and magic now <clears throat> the and, reason he gets into the magic is because it's very mysterious to him and while he does know you know he does well, know and, karate, it was, and it well, it wasn't the origin it wasn't the origin one of the reasons he was doing that was because um the person who had sent him there because he is at the end of his rope yeah um and uh, and the person who had sent him there had basically promised him that he would be able to use his hands again so he went there on the promise that his hands would be healed um, but then what he ended up finding was that it became this big, deeper spiritual experience for him. And then basically he ended up, uh, and basically he ended up uh, just, uh, it was almost kind of like a redemption thing. Yeah. You know, um, it was like, this was, this is his way of redeeming himself, of basically making up for all those stuff, uh, all that stuff he was had, he had done when he was a prick. 
Which is nice because I feel that every character, whether it's in the DC universe or in the Marvel universe, if you want to get a Dark Horse Xenoscope, every character has to have some type of redemption from something they've done that's just completely awful because it does two things for the character. A, it makes them a hell of a lot more relatable to people that read them, and also B, it also gives them a broader storyline. Like, you can do more with someone that's coming through redemption from being a complete ass to now they have to fight through years and years of being oppressed because now people don't trust him because he's been like that. Now he has to go through years and years of proving himself to say, you know what, that's not who I am, that's who I was, yeah. this is who I'm trying to become, give me a freaking break. Exactly. And it's just going through all that that makes it such a great success story. Well, not only that, it's kind of a personal journey. I mean, many of us have, and I, and I like how you talk about it, because like you said a lot of people can relate to it. Well, a lot of people can relate to that. How many times have we in our <laughs> life acted like pricks and then just, and then thought to ourselves, you know, I wish I could have done that differently. Exactly. You know, many of us have basically said something in the heat of the moment, um, regretted it, and wished that it that thing had gone unsaid. Or that <clears throat> we could take it back knowing full well yeah. that we can't what's said is said yeah exactly so that's what that's what i'm saying is that, and that's why i agree with you that uh, i think that that's what makes dr strange such a relatable character he obviously had done some stuff in his life that he regretted and he wanted to make up for and he felt that um by learning sorcery and everything that he could benefit mankind in a way that he couldn't do when he was a surgeon yeah, and the yeah. best part is this reparations story mm -hmm. is just that. It's gaining reparations for doing some extremely ex despicable things and basically, in a way, being given a second chance to redeem himself. And I think at the core, mm -hmm. with not just a comic book character, but with people in general... If you've been just like a horrible ass for the greater part of your life and you're given a chance to redeem yourself, I think that's something that shouldn't be squandered. Oh yeah. And and uh, and you know and then uh, as I said and I think this what makes it, it makes him such a great creation and it's like a, one thing because uh, uh, going back to Steve Ditko yeah is that um, one thing I know about uh, the, the, you know uh, some of the things I know about him was that he was a guy that didn't actually seek the spotlight it was uh, he was actually different from uh, from guys like Jack Kirby he was actually interested in a way almost uh, not in a, not in a bad way mind you but he was almost the antithesis to Jack Kirby because. Jack Kirby, whereas like he was, you know, uh, for the most part, he was uh, he was pretty known in the comic book circle, and he was out there. People knew his face. Um, Steve Ditko actually preferred to actually not not go out so much, not not seek the fame. He was like uh, he was actually he was actually a person that the reason he did comic books was because he just loved doing comic books. It wasn't actually, you know, I mean, and like I said, I'm not, and this is not to slight anybody who's like an extrovert, who, yeah. who actually likes getting out there and likes <laughs> presenting themselves. I mean, you know, many of us are like that. Um, but in Steve Ditko's case, it was that, uh, it was just that um, he was more introverted. He, he, he actually preferred not to do appearances and actually preferred mainly to just do his work from his own office. Exactly, because his thing was he didn't want to have to speak for what he did. 
He wanted what he did to speak for him. Exactly. The whole thing is, is uh, um, uh, one of the, one of the people he reminds me of because you don't see a whole lot of pictures of him, and you don't see a whole him, that he's done a whole lot of interviews. But uh, the uh, but Bill Watterson, the guy who created Calvin and Hobbes, yeah, um, he was kind of the same way. Was it was you had this really great comic book he did, but you never really saw the man behind it. You, um, he he preferred to basically be more of an unknown person. Um, he wanted his creation to speak for itself. He didn't want. He didn't want. He didn't want uh, to. He 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 didn't he didn't want to be out there. He didn't want to see his face everywhere. Um, but like I said, I mean, and Steve Ditko was kind of the same thing uh, from what I've seen um, and, and from the interviews that I've read about him. And one one things I can say where Steve Ditko was very important to me, especially, was that um, I I ended up getting up introduced, especially to uh, like Spider Man. I ended up getting introduced to that when I was in my uh, when I was in my uh, young teenage years, and that was formative to, for me because um, while I may not have been into Spider-Man all that much before my dad died, after my dad died, I, you know that was actually good because I could I, you know I could actually relate to Peter Parker's character in the fact that. Um, he his um you know uh, that that he had lost someone important in his life in this case his uncle ben and uh <laughs> and then and and then losing that per, uh, person in his life helped help basically make make him into uh, into the hero that he turned out to be so it was kind of a focal pointed type character yeah exactly um you know uh stan lee had actually said it best is that uh if you, if you want a great character, you've got to give them a personal tragedy that uh, that pretty much uh, gives them a motivation for what they do. Because the thing is, is that's where he got his big saying, you know, is that when when his Uncle Ben died, that's when he learned that with great power comes great responsibility. And I, <clears throat> you touch on something right now that I really, really enjoy about a lot of characters, not only from DC and Marvel... But there's a lot of independent characters that have it. You have a character that is kind of maybe mild-mannered. They're mm-hmm. just like there for the first couple of uh, first couple of issues. Yeah. But then something tragic happens. Say a family member dies, girlfriend, wife, children, whatever it may yeah. be. And then that gives them motivation to make sure that that doesn't happen to other people. Exactly. Um... And and that's uh, and that's what I'm saying, you know, is that, uh, um, you know, the the that was something that was good for me, especially at the time when I started really getting into the stuff. Was that I said, you know, it uh, it touched on something that was important to me, you know. That's the whole thing. Is that, granted, my dad didn't die at the hands of violent crime, <clears throat> you know. It's like uh, no, no, I mean, his 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 was just his was just heart failure. Yeah. But. Uh, but I can, you know, but I can relate to the fact that that when you lose someone important, that you know that that that, that a piece of you is gone, that it's never going to be recovered. And I'm not trying to make it sound hopeless to people, but I'm also not going to sugarcoat it. The whole thing is 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 you you can't get that back. When someone that you personally care for dies in your life, you're never going to get that back. You're not. Yeah, and. But what you can do is that um, the pain's always going to be there, but it will slowly numb over time. 
It will. Um, you're not ever going to fully be over it because that's just not possible. But what you do get to the point is that you get a routine and 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 you are able to get to some semblance of a sane life you know uh and but like i said but no as far as the pain um the pain numbs but it doesn't ever go away and i believe that as morbid as this is going to sound is okay because then mm. that gives you a reason to remember them oh that yeah gives you a reason to remember the great times that you had with them because that pain in an essence is still there and that gives you that remembrance well, of who they used to be and well, who they were to you. Well, and that's what you have left. The The good thing you get is you have the memories. The memories are there to, to sustain you in a way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but, but like I said, you know, um, I just want to be honest with people and this is not to <clears throat> give anyone hopelessness whatsoever. I just, I, 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 I'm just going to speak the truth, but yeah, it, it, um, if anybody tells you the pain goes away, they either don't understand it or they're just flat out lying to you. Because, or they haven't gone through it themselves yet, so they don't Well, that's, so that's, well, that's why I said they, they, they don't, that, that's where it goes goes what I said with not understanding it yeah is that they either don't understand it or they're just lying to you in order to comfort you um but what it all comes down to as I said this is what happens you, you know it, it's always painful but it does numb to the point where you're able to go go uh go and at least have a decent life but but that's always going to be with you for the rest of your days exactly um to touch on some, just a little sidetrack to this, but we'll get back to that. I wanted to shout out personally Ditko and his family. Thank you for bringing him into the world and bringing such an amazing and wonderful career to the forefront of comics. Because if it weren't for him bringing his talents and bringing his ideas and ideals to the forefront of comics, there's no telling what we could have missed had he not been such an influential part in the comic industry so if any of the Ditko family or anybody else listens to this podcast I want to personally thank you for letting us have that talent and having him share it because I know that his influences and his creations really mm -hmm. touched me and made me the creator I am with my comics because I realized that there needs to be people in your life like Ditko giving you some inspiration and some characters to say hey I could make a character like that and I could have people you know be influenced and inspired by their tragedies and learning to press on yeah. so thank you once again for giving us this opportunity to have him in our lives as mm -hmm. comic book creators because I truly did appreciate everything that he brought about for the comic industry it's an amazing thing and it's an amazing legacy that he has left, and I will never, ever, mm -hmm. ever stop loving what he did for it. Oh yeah, and I totally agree. And that's that's the thing, you know, is that he's uh, um, he he's he's a legend in in the industry. He's like a, you know, and a lot of people might consider this blasphemous, but I I consider him I consider him to be on par with Jack Kirby. Thing is, Steve Ditko, to me, as I said, was just more the antithesis to Jack Kirby. Exactly. Whereas Jack Kirby was more outgoing, and he would talk with people and engage with people, 
Um, Steve Gitko was much more sort of shy and reserved and and not really what you'd call an outgoing person. Yeah. Um, but both were still amazing talents. You know, um, Jack, uh, uh, you know Jack Jack. Jack Kirby's art, I would consider, as, as we talked about before, dynamic. You like, like all his stuff just sort of uh, shot off the page. Um, Steve Ditko's, I would actually say, was more emotional. Actually, Steve Ditko, when you when you read his stuff, whether it was a Doctor Strange comic or a, or a Spider Man comic or, or Blue Beetle or whatever, whatever comic he was drawing, it was like when the character was feeling something you could see it in the panel it resonated in the panel and I, I really love that and that's why I love certain indie creators when they can move you with the characters that they draw forth when yeah. well uh, I will say this because when I read Darum you can tell that you've put so much emotion into it that you can tell when something's going on on a page, that's personal. That's from the creator's mm. aspect, and they want you to feel that. And they draw it in such a way and write it in such a way that when you do feel that, you can feel a connection with the writer that wrote it. Exactly. The thing is that uh, I like that you touched on Darren, but when I when I uh, wrote the Darren character. I put a lot of my own personality into that character, and the whole thing is, is yeah, you know, whenever that character is feeling pain, I draw that out from my own personal pain. Um, you know, uh, Darum, uh, and, and I've discussed this before. Um, Darum is a is a character who has not fully gotten over the death of his father. Yeah, that's that's something he wrestles with and struggles with, and. I have him do that because that's something I struggle with and wrestle with. The whole thing is, is if you if you feel the pain in those stories and you feel the pain that the character's feeling, it's because the pain is coming from me. That's my own personal pain in that story. And I love that you do that because along the way, there are going to be people that read Darum that have gone through the same thing that you had gone through. And they're going to connect in a way to Darum, and it's going to be in a way for you, for them, a healing factor. Exactly, um, and that's and and that's one of the reasons why I think it's actually um, uh, the word I think I'd use is therapeutic yeah. um, to do these kind of stories, is because it actually helps you out in a way. I mean, um, when I would tap into certain stories, especially this current story arc that I'm writing. Um, I was tapping into things that that obviously I was wrestling with, but I didn't even know. That's the sad thing, is that uh, um, for years I had thought that there were certain issues that I had, you know, hilarious enough, and I'm going to kind of contradict myself from earlier, but uh, but, uh, uh, but uh, I, ha I thought I had gotten over it, but I hadn't. Um, I went and tapped into uh, to these emotions that I had, and then I realized, I was like, wow, I've got more issues about, as I said, like the death of my father than 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 I thought I did. And, you know, it's like uh, it's like I thought I thought that was a hurdle I'd gotten over, but then but then uh, when I tapped into these emotions again, I was like, you know, I never really fully dealt with my dad's death, and you're gonna 
see that in a lot of these issues of Darum is that he has the same problem. He's never really fully dealt uh, with his father's death. Yeah. And I'm going to parallel something as a little teaser for Taxi Cab Joe. Uh, I'm actually going to be doing something similar with Mandy in the Taxi Cab Joe series is one of the main bad guys kills her mother in front of her. And she's going to have to go through the guilt of feeling that, you know, she could have stopped it. Or if she had done this, or if she had done that, or if something had gone different, or if, you know, whatever. She's going to have to deal with that emotional trial. She's going to have to deal with the tears and finally realizing there isn't anything that she could have done. It happened. Mm-hmm. And she just needs to carry on and make her mom proud of the woman that she's become. And I feel that as a, as a person and as a creator, it's hard to draw those kind of things within your characters. Because if you've gone through that, it makes it that much more emotional, as you said. And it makes it that much more in-depth. And it also makes it that much harder to write which is actually Mm -hmm. a very very good thing because the harder something is to write the more emotion you put into it and the and the more you get out of it yeah and 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 i think i know what you're touching on here and 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 when we say it's hard to write not that it's hard to type it down (laughs) no no it's it's actually it's the thing is writing it down whether it's on uh, pen and paper or whether you're typing it on your computer the whole thing is is that that part is actually easy yeah but but I, I but I, and I think I know what you're tapping on here and, and, and it's kind of what I'm saying what where the hard part is is when you're tapping into that emotion you're tapping you're tapping into emotions that that you know in a way can be you know depending on what story you're doing um, like in the case of our story it can be very painful you're tapping into painful emotions that you'd rather forget and that's what makes it hard it's hard because you have to revisit them and it really is because once you start revisiting them then all the floods of emotions the tears the memories they come back and in a way it's really really good because then you can use those memories and you can use those tears and that emotion to fuel the story and then that just makes the story that much sweeter to tell yeah exactly uh, just uh, just what we talked about the, the you know you know when when you when you when you dive into the painful parts of your past that emotion's going to come up it doesn't matter how much you buried it yeah that emotion's going to come back up and then it's just going to feel as tender as as if it just happened and I believe that that is actually a very good thing because us as creators, and this might just be my opinion. Well, let's hear it. However, when I know I'm writing a script and I know that I'm going through some personal pain or however it resonates on the page, I know that. I put words onto the pages that I normally wouldn't put. Mm -hmm. I don't just write just to write willy-nilly. 
there's purpose behind what I'm saying, there's purpose behind the scenes that I'm making, and that when it's actually made into a comic and you can read it, you revisit all that pain and all that emotion, but you realize this is what it was all about. This is what you were wanting to convey. Oh yeah, exactly. The, the thing is, is that if, if it's not coming from a real place, then it's not going to feel real. Yeah. Because um, I know there's, you know, it's fiction, suspension of disbelief and all that, but the emotions got to feel real. And and if the audience doesn't feel like they're getting that emotion, the the thing is, is that uh, they're going to be like, well, I can't relate to these characters because they, they're not tapping into real emotions. And that's the whole thing. If, if you go, uh, if you take the audience on an emotional roller coaster, mm-hmm. they'll follow you anywhere. I guarantee that. <laughs> but that's the thing is, you know, it might sound vindictive, but this is the truth. You put them on an emotional roller coaster, they'll always come back for a second ride. The best part about writing, the, the, I, I've tapped into this so many times, and I don't know if I've done it on a podcast, but I've done it in my writing, and I've done it in talking to you in the past. The best part about writing is is getting people to feel for what you're writing about it's Mm -hmm. taking those raw emotions that we all have as a human race and using them not necessarily against the reader but for the reader it well it it helps them tap into that and in a healthy way the whole thing is is like it's not like inciting anyone to violence or like it's not like basically putting ideas in their head like 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 oh you know like like, 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 you should go out and beat up the next guy across the street. God's no. No, no. <laughs> no way. Um, but what it really is, 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 is I, as I talked about before, and I think this is the perfect word for it, it's therapeutic. Mm-hmm. You go through those emotions so that you read it, you've gone through the emotions, and then after the emotions are over and you've read that and you're done with it, you've dealt with that, and then and you've done it in a healthy way in a good medium and 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 basically that keeps you from maybe say from expressing those repressed feelings on somebody who maybe doesn't deserve it true now i have a segue question into it is there a way that you can convey those kind of feelings and emotions in any genre i would say yes the whole thing is to say yeah, I mean, you, you even look at something like music. Um, music does it with with uh, with various things. Um, certain tones can bring out certain emotions. Yeah. Um, certain lyrics will bring it out. Um, the way the person emotes in the music. Uh-huh. The whole thing is, I mean, I've 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 there've been plenty of nights. Like, I mean, I guess one of the things I love is music, and I'll use that as inspiration when I'm writing. I'll, I'll be listening to all sorts of stuff. I mean, I'll be listening to my favorite metal band. I'll be listening to my favorite blues band. I'll be I'll be listening to something like classical. I'll even be listening to movie soundtracks. Um, it just depends on what I'm writing and what kind of feeling I need. So I listen to something that's going to convey that feeling. Exactly. And, yeah. and whatever that music is conveying in the feeling, that's how you're going to make it look when the comic oh yeah the comic. I'll, I'll full on admit when I'm when I'm trying to feel heroic one of the things I always do is I always either A pop in the Flash Gordon soundtrack exactly or B I'll pop in 
any one of the Indiana Jones synth soundtracks. Now, I will point this out. You have popped in some John Williams before when you've wanted to fail heroic as well. Oh, yeah. Well, John Williams is really good at that. John Williams is really, really good at that. You'll listen to the very soundtracks he's done. Because, I mean, you know, if you want epic sci-fi, you pop in anything Star Wars that John Williams has done. Exactly. Epic. Um, you pop in any of the Indiana Jones, just as I previously mentioned. Epic. Um, but he's even done, like, like he's done, he, he did the entire soundtrack for the first Superman movie with Christopher Reeve. Mm-hmm. And that is, that, that's like the epitome of heroic music. You need a good heroic soundtrack, you pop in the Superman soundtrack, and that's just perfect. Exactly. And it's just like, everything comes after that. Exactly, exactly, and, and you know, it's like anything he does, he, he's got the right feeling for. It. But then I would say that, that there's a lot of really good composers. Another, there are two, uh, like two other composers I like to listen to is I'm also a big fan of Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's got some epically good soundtracks. Um, one one I want to plug right now, and a lot of people don't watch this too much anymore. It's kind of sad. It's a one of my favorite underrated movies. But um, but do you remember the Thirteenth Warrior with Antonio Banderas? Oh Jesus Christ, yes, that was a gorgeous movie. Yeah, the soundtrack was twice as amazing. Yeah, Jerry Goldsmith exactly. did the soundtrack. It, uh-huh. It's really good. It's a really good epic, a really good epic action adventure score, mm-hmm. and it's got some really great sort of like Viking battle cues. It's it's so awesome. Mm-hmm. If you are gonna write fight scenes, I pop in the 13th Warrior soundtrack. It is great for that. That and also there's another one which you and I had uh, touched on in a PM about a week ago, I believe. You were listening to Samurai music for that epic battlefield. Oh yeah, um, that's a cool thing, and this is one of the reasons why I like Spotify. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to plug Spotify here. So you know, thank you. Fucking love you. Spotify. Yeah, yeah. So you're welcome, Spotify. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyways, <laughs> but but yeah, I well, and I, I was just looking for because because I need um I was doing a story and I needed that samurai feel to it. Yeah. And I knew if I had the appropriate soundtrack, I could do it. So two things I did. I uh, I first I first went around just looking for because I, I, I you know one of the things is that uh, you know I sometimes I'll do random searches yeah I did a random search on samurai just to see what came up <laughs> and there was actually it was one of those actual really awesome playlist that came up and it was a it was a it was a playlist strictly for like samurai music exactly and it was taken from various video games movies and uh and tv shows and they were all sort of like like epic samurai battle music i loved it it was a really awesome uh it was a really awesome sort of playlist they'd assembled helped inspire me and i believe that you also listened to it the following night helped inspire you i did actually that uh that playlist actually fueled the sixth issue that I wrote for Taxi Cab Joe, and it was just gorgeous. It was all over the fucking place amazing. Yeah, and that's it. And another one I would also highly recommend, especially if you want to get that sort of really awesome samurai feel, Mm -hmm. um, is listen to the soundtrack for The Last Samurai. 
the the soundtrack of the Last Samurai is just really awesome uh, music, especially if you need that kind of feel. That really hits the the spot as far as epic fight scene mm -hmm. type of music. Because when I was listening to the Last Samurai soundtrack, it reminded me of Mel Gibson and Braveheart getting ready to charge down the hill to kick all sorts of fucking ass. Exactly. <laughs> like a, it was uh, like the amp up music, just like, we're going to get this shit. Uh, and I'll at least give this, because like, like I said, we were talking about classic composers. I'll give a shout out to someone who's somewhat more of a modern composer because he's been, I mean, he's been around for a while, but he's been more prominent, I'd say, from the 2000s on. Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer's actually wrote some pretty cool, pretty epic sounding soundtracks. And for those who might, because uh, I know not a lot of people are familiar with these movies, one, one, some movies you'd recognize his his scores from is he did the Dark Knight trilogy, the Christopher the Christopher Nolan Dark Knight trilogy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the the ones with Christian Bale. Um, and uh, can I know what else he did? What, what else did he do? He did all the music for the Halo games. Oh yes, he did. Yes, he did. But uh, that's what I'm saying. So, so <laughs> good modern composer got some really awesome stuff. My favorite stuff of his, as I said, Last Samurai. Yeah, I think Last Samurai is like his best soundtrack. Um, and uh, in the side, I, I would totally uh, recommend that in terms of of uh, of good epic battle scenes and whatnot. If you want great sci-fi music, though, uh, as I said. John Williams is always good, yeah. but then, but then I would recommend um, I would recommend James Horner. James Horner has some Ooh, really great yeah. sci-fi tracks, especially that, a lot of music yeah. he's done. You listen to a lot of his. Uh, I mean, let me put it this way: anything James Horner is always good. But uh, I would say, if, in terms of sci-fi, especially a lot of his earlier stuff, listen to his soundtracks he did for like Battle Beyond the Stars. Mm -hmm. Listen to um, Star Trek Two, Star Trek Three. You know, um, listen to Krull. Like, like those soundtracks have this really awesome sort of adventurous sci-fi track, uh, 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 track, uh, well, feel to it. Horner's um, Horner's just got one of those types of feels to his composing, where when he makes a piece. He brings you into the atmosphere, like you're there. Oh yeah, like whenever I hear the Kroll soundtrack, I I see the characters. I, I you know I see the Slayers. You know exactly. The, it's like uh, you know I, I I see that atmosphere. Whenever I hear Rathacon or 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 the Search for Spock, mm -hmm. I'm always thinking of the Enterprise and 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 flying in space and warp speed. You know exactly. Um, but you know I mean, just anything. You know. Um, and, and, and anything he does, he puts you in the feel of that. I mean, uh, and, and and this isn't sci-fi, but but this is a good example. You uh, he d he also did the score for an American Tale, and you listen to uh, an American Tale, you're there. You feel like you 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 can you can see the immigrants. You can see them coming in uh, coming into this new world, and how and how difficult it is because it's a it's an adjustment, and it's not exactly what was promised. And the best part about a great composer, and I know you will totally agree mm -hmm. with me on this, is a great composer can make a piece so well done that when they have a certain instrument going on, you can tell 
that's the part of the story they're trying to tell with that instrument. Oh, and exactly, and especially where the musical cues come in. Yeah. Um, you can tell what kind of emotion's being conveyed. If you hear sort of uh, a soft violin or maybe even... Um, uh, or maybe even like an an oboe or something. You know that you know that it's supposed to convey maybe um, maybe a sense of tenderness or something. Yeah. Um, you notice if you hear maybe like some some sinister like uh, bass cello music um, that it's supposed to represent like something something bad that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, if you're hearing sort of a melancholy violin, you know it's supposed to convey pain. Yeah. You know. Um, if you hear the piccolo, yeah. you know, it's more of like this upbeat. Yeah, yeah it's supposed to, and, and especially the way it goes, because it could go from either that the person's just extremely happy, uh -huh. or it could convey into a goofier moment. Exactly. Like, you know, something slapstick is going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... People have been using composers for soundtracks to convey scenes for a long, long time. One of yeah. my favorite composers, writers, directors, actors, philanthropists, and thespians all rolled into one who just blows my mind every time I watch a movie of his is Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, that's true. He did it all. He, he, he really did. He wrote it. He directed it. He acted in it. He, he did everything. And I believe if we had people that did that today, mm -hmm. I you believe that yeah. movies would, would take on kind of a more cinematic and beautiful feel to it. Well, and you'd have uh, what, uh, what I like to call, you'd have more of a... Um, uh, a singular vision type film. Exactly. Um, the the biggest problem, and 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 a lot of uh, modern uh, movie makers have even said this. Um, one of the biggest problems we face nowadays is uh, back in the old days when they would make movies, the crews were usually very small. You had maybe you had maybe like one person doing uh, doing uh, doing a single job. Mm -hmm. um, you had a very small crew uh, to work with, and uh, and it was actually very easy to get what you. I mean, even though you didn't have the technology to make it look amazing, the story you wanted to tell was never really messed with because because there was a small you and a small crew, and it was easier to get your vision across. Yeah. Nowadays, it's we have the exact opposite problem. It's Nowadays, like we've got we, we, yeah, well, yeah, you've got well, you've got you got you know billion dollar budgets for movies nowadays. Um, and yeah, the effects look great and they're awesome. So the budget's up there, so you can visually might be able to get this striking thing. But the big problem is, is that. But now, then you start getting too many hands in every pot. Yeah. Because if you watch the credits nowadays, it's like, I, I dare people, go watch an old film from, like, the, go watch an old film from anywhere from the 1930s to the 1960s. The credits are very short. Exactly. Not a whole lot of, not a, lot, a whole lot of people popping up everywhere. You watch a credit sequence nowadays, and you have armies of people in every department. And the sad uh, thing is that the credits now, they take five to seven minutes just for the fucking credits. Exactly. When you watch a Chaplin movie, 
The beginning credits and the end credits are literally well, there, there, well, well, there weren't even end credits. Back in their day, they used to just do, uh, especially black and whites, yeah. it was, all the credits were at the beginning. I'm talking about oh, uh, this later stuff that oh, was color. Oh, no, 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 even, even that. But, uh, but what I'm talking about is, uh, is, is this. In the older films, because the, they didn't actually start doing the long credit sequences until about the 1970s. Yeah. Um, the, um, in, 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 uh, in, in the older days, um, I'd say from the, uh, from when film started, clear on up to when, uh, to about, I'd say, yeah, pretty much the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you do it, all the credits would be at the beginning um, of the movie. Um, it, it, and, and it would go through a credit sequence there, and then what you'd get at the end was just a cue, uh, was just a cue card thing, basically saying the end. Yeah. Um, that that's what you would get. But I, but I was saying is like nowadays, nowadays, not only do you get credits at the beginning, but you get credits at the end. And then, as we said, armies of people all over the place, it, and it takes like five to seven minutes to get through the whole thing. Armies are awful. I want and, and let me put it this way. Uh, and, and and I want people to to, uh, to to be clear on this. We're not making fun of all the people that have to make movies nowadays. We're not saying that they don't need appreciation and a yeah, slap on the back for uh, helping yeah. make it. That's not uh, what we're saying. Exactly. We love the people who make movies. They need jobs. Uh, you know, the, the, it, it, it's awesome the work that they do. And the appreciation and, 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 and the appreciation is there. The only thing we're getting at, and this is and, and this is a truth, and this is not a slight to anybody, is that is that when you have more hands in the pot, the problem is is that you're not going to get the vision. You're not going to get a singular vision. You're going to have uh, you're going to have a vision of multiple people. Because uh, more, the more people who have control over a project, the more people who are basically going to say, "Oh, I want the story to go this way, or I want the story to go that way." The thing is, is like, uh, is it, when whenever you watched, uh, here, here's things like, uh, whenever you watch, like, say, like, like you're watching, like maybe say the, you're watching, maybe say the uh, the old Dracula movie, yeah. Bela Lugosi, you know. What you're getting there is 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 strictly the the, the vision of the writer and director, mm-hmm. right there. Writer and director. That's the vision you're getting. Cinematic uh, masterpiece. Yeah, cinematic masterpiece. <laughs> nowadays, and and you still can get pretty good movies nowadays, but nowadays it's a little different. You're not going to get that singular vision because you can't just say the movie was uh, uh, like the movie was this, and it was because of the writer and director. Back in the old days, you could do that. Yeah. Nowadays, nowadays you're gonna, you know, nowadays you're gonna have to say, well, it was, it was due to, it was not only due to the writer and director, but it was due to the effects team and to the, uh, and to the PR team and to the, uh, you know, and uh, the boom mic guy. Yeah, yeah. You forget the boom mic guy. <laughs> but, 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 basically, it's like, you know, it's the crew and the, um, and the producers and 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 uh, you know, and and the, and the, and the, and the you know, and it just this whole, as we said, this whole huge army of people, and 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 so the whole thing is, is that it is that the film, while it still may be good, it's not any direct person's vision. You know, it's like, uh, like like you saw a Ray Harryhausen movie, yeah, back in the day. You knew you were gonna watch a Ray Harryhausen movie. You know what was on there was what Ray Harryhausen wanted you to see. Um, 
you know, um, whereas nowadays, if you say like, uh, you know, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll use somebody who's uh, still uh, who's still good in the role of notice, but let's say, uh, um, and, and not his older films, but his newer films. But let's say you, you see a newer Steven Spielberg film. Yeah. Uh, you watch a newer Steven Spielberg film. Um, you're not going to get the exact vision of Steven Spielberg. Um, you're going to get a. Um, a, a watered down version of Steven That's Spielberg. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, that, 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 that was the wording I was looking for. But yeah, yeah you need a watered down version of Steven Spielberg. You're going to kind of see his influence in there, but then, then, but then you're going to see the influence of all the other people involved too. And I don't want to be an ass when I say this, but it's kind of a fucking shame when that happens because you get this really great idea from a really amazing director, mm-hmm. and it's just freaking amazing and then you throw everybody else in the mix and it's almost like the vision kind of fades away well and interestingly enough and in because uh, I'd, I'd watched um i'd watched an interview um that they'd done with uh and and, and you would you would remember this guy because we, we grew up with him you remember joe bob briggs who did uh monster vision oh, of course yeah monster vision was awesome oh yeah um and uh, and anyway, uh, I watched an interview with him, and, and he actually said one of the things is that it's kind of funny about nowadays because what's what's funny is is that you have people spending billions of dollars on movies and whatnot. But here's the funny thing: um, back in the back in the day, you'd film something like he say it was even as, as even as uh, even as like something like around the year two thousand. Yeah. Um, you basically had to. Um, buy all this gear and all these specialized cameras and spend millions of dollars getting this equipment. Um, and, uh, um, and then with, uh, and then, um, and, 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 you know, and, 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 and it would explain a lot of the costs that you would get. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, we're living in an, an, an era, in this day and age, you can get various computer programs that can actually help you make your own movies. Pretty much. And, 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 and here's the thing. You can actually get stuff for free to actually even help you make it look really great and really professional. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you could, you could, you could actually, uh, nowadays, nowadays we have the technology, you could probably make a movie with a budget of $100,000, make it look spectacular, but yet, hilariously enough, nobody's using it. Everyone's still spending billions of dollars to make a movie. It's because people are stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be rude. However, I would love to continue this wonderful conversation. Uh, but. It's okay, uh. Well, first off, we'll get to the we'll 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 uh, we'll we'll get we'll get to a few announcements before we wrap things up. Um, you know, um, one thing is is that uh, once uh, like oh well well Furious is still is still going. So if you want to pledge to that Kickstarter, you can still go on the Kickstarter website, look up Furious, pledge to it. Um, you know, uh, the, the thing is, is Ed, you know, every, every little bit helps. I mean, yeah, it may be fully funded, but, you know, you still have time to get some extra goodies. I mean, you know, because the thing is, is like whatever, uh, we have different tiers that you can go for. Yeah. And uh, w- whatever you pledge, you'll get, you'll always get a special something mm-hmm. from Crazy Monkey Inc. Um, and so you still have plenty of time to do that. Um and uh, so yeah, I wanted uh, I would touch on that, and then also 
once once the furious kickstarter is done and wrapped up we're then going to start pre-production on the kickstarter for uh, Darum number 4 Christ Jesus yeah uh, and then and that that's actually the, the, and like I said and that that'll be good and that's another upcoming thing we got going um I also want to uh, want want uh, want to, the audience to know is that uh, is that uh, Amy's uh, title Zodiac um, her uh, her title Zodiac number three will be coming out at the end of the month. I'm looking forward to this actually. Oh yes, oh yes, um, and um, and we're all or and and uh, and I'm sure uh, Corey doesn't mind me letting people know is that uh, we are uh, we are already. Halfway through production of Taxi Cab Joe number two. Yes, I'm extremely fucking excited about that. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound like it because I'm tired <laughs> and it's hot as balls out in St. George, Utah, <laughs> but I am extremely fucking excited because Gaspar is working on page number 13. He's halfway done with it. Mike's coloring the first eight pages as we speak, and I just can't be more excited than I already am. And I just wanted to thank everybody that's been working on the project as thus far. You've been doing amazing. Keep on doing what you're doing. I love the quality that you bring out. It's mm. fucking awesome. Oh yeah, exactly. And and, and once again, I'll I'll give a shout out to guys like, like I said. I'm I'm glad we got Brian Jail Glass doing Furious with us. Give another shout out to him, Brian Jail Glass. Awesome guy. Really, you know, real really awesome. Just 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 cheerful dude <laughs> that's all i can say he's like yeah uh you know um but like i said good guy good guy um and then uh and then also give a shout out to our boss again raz you know he's got an excellent company that that you know that that he that he's started you know i'm glad he's given indie guys like ourselves a, a shot you know so many there's so many other companies that that you know would have turned us down but he gave us a shot and 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 we got our stuff out there and, and it's great to have our stuff out there mm -hmm. um so i want to thank him again because the dude's got a great vision he really yeah. does yeah um and uh in in terms of announcements uh you know i think i think that's pretty much most of what we got coming up um okay. oh and uh once again uh uh, I've got to throw this out there. Um, for those that don't know, uh, who maybe not have been following yet, but uh, uh, Monsters on the Run number two, fully funded. Um, and uh, we want to thank everyone who helped support that. Um, you know, Mark Swan, he's a great guy, came up with a great concept. It's something that the whole family will enjoy. Yeah, you can read this to your kids, you can read it yourself. It's an all ages title. Yeah. And it's just. It's a really cute title that'll probably the story and the elements in it will take you back to a couple of couple of movies you've seen him do storyboards and work on. So oh, it will really takes me back know. to the Don Blue stuff. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, but either way, I want to thank everyone who supported Monsters Run Number Two. It made its goal. It's awesome, and like I said, we got some really great stuff coming to you in the future. Damn right we do. That's right, Jared. As always, wanted to thank you for taking your time out to get on the podcast and uh, share your ideals and your ideas with us. Oh, it's been fun, man. It's been fun. <laughs> and as always, everybody, be amazing to each other. 
lift someone up that's having a bad day, give someone a smile, a hug, let them know that you appreciate them, that they're in your life, and just have a great fucking weekend. All right, you have a good one. All right, we'll see you.